to a clear piece off? Yeah, okay, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company, and he's Luke Morris, and he... Uh, I just released Park One Life, my new podcast series about running a half marathon. Check it out. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine, who talk about all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. What's been going on? Mate, it's all been happening. It's I have been travelling up and down the eastern seaboard. I have been spending time with my family and friends and generally embracing the chains of season. What about you? Embracing I'll ask you, I'll ask you that. Yeah, sorry. Embr- yeah, embracing the change of season. You're right. But let's talk about that in a moment. First thing. Okay. All right. Cool. Welcome, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, listeners. Season three, episode six here. Uh, and as always, have we got an episode for you. This week's topic is how does wood affect my wine? And we also have a listener question from those out there who got involved uh, via the email Luke's talk wine at gmail.com. And the listener question is, in fact, how will consumer, cha- consumer tastes change in the next few days or the next 10 years, which is a really great question. And we will attend to that. But first, and as with every week, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Um, I've been disappointed by Facebook. Because I, wow. I shared, you know, I'm not the only one. I think a lot of people were annoyed with Facebook. <laughs> a lot of people would be uh, in agreement there. A lot of people would probably say they don't even use Facebook. I imagine a large percentage of our listenership wouldn't. But No, I'd agree with you. What uh, I, I put the Hottest 100 Wines form on two Facebook wine groups that I'm I realised that I used to be a member of a lot of them and then I just got rid of them because I don't <laughs> like seeing all the Facebook stuff. Yep. And uh, Bupkis, we got Bupkis. We have no new entries in the Hottest 100 of Wines this week. Zero. 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 Well, we're off to a flying start. Luckily, we've got the first 14 down. We just need a couple more to go. Yeah, but I don't know where else to um, spruik it. Because obviously, you know, this ravaged listenership that we have is, is already, they've already uh, all over Chimed it. In. Like a um, fat kid on lollies. I was just trying to think of some sort of analogy <laughs> that didn't involve food. <laughs> anyway, like a, like a pig in a butcher shop. It's all over the place. It's bacon, it's pork, it's ham, it's everywhere. Anyway. Um, no, where else do we go? I've, I, I can submit it to like the staff newsletter at work. That might give us a couple. Well, I think we've got to be cognizant of what we're looking for here. And we're really looking for the top 100 wines of our listening audience. So if those people at your said Are staff we? I newsletter. I thought we didn't care. I thought we just wanted people. This is how we're supposed to get a listening audience. Yeah, but I mean, you, you'd, you'd hope at least they'd listen to 
a few minutes of an episode, wouldn't you? Oh, mate, you can hope a lot of stuff about the world. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know uh, how to attract new listeners apart from just trying to let people know that the thing exists and this is one method of doing that. So, well, yeah. Well, that's what we're doing. And we are, if we keep on doing what we're doing, the listenership will continue to grow. Okay. But I want more than 14 entrants because I might, you know, I, I don't want this to be the hottest 100 suckiest list. Semions. That'd be cool. Eden Rieslings. I'm just worried that, you know, we open it up and it's like just a scatter gun of individual wines and it doesn't really, it's just, it, it rimpers out and there was no findings. We have no P tests. There's no P tests, there's no T tests, there's no correlations, there's nothing. We need to get more numbers, Campbell. Right. I'm onto it. You're onto it. I'm onto it. Ooh. I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. Don't worry about that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a one-trick pony. Oh, no, he's got multiple tricks up his sleeves, and ponies don't even wear sleeves. So you're you're, you're much better than a pony. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what, what else has been happening? Besides the hottest 100, what else has been happening? Oh, that, uh, uh, the Bendigo Comedy Festival is on sale. That's been yeah. my other major draw card for the week. Uh, and I released a podcast that I was devising a series. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, so, so you said that earlier. So the, the Park Run Live podcast, What are you? so you're running and parking and live broadcasting. Is that what you're doing? No, no, no. <laughs> so there's a social running community every Saturday morning all over the world called Park Run, right? It's right. a 5K run every morning about 8 o'clock all over the world. There's parks that get together and do this. And I sort of took that as a baseline of running to uh, work up to doing and taking the attitude of that social running method to running a half marathon. And I chronicled that as a series and oh, right. Well, okay. You can you can listen to there's like thirteen episodes, I think. Yeah. And uh, you can hear me break down at times, <laughs> and and you can hear me interview psychologists and comedians and running coaches and get a uh, an insight into what it takes to train to do a a half marathon run from someone who wasn't able to really run five k. Okay. Well, that sounds absolutely enthralling, Luke Morris, because you're drilling down. Not only are you drilling down on the psyche of a human being, but you're also tapping into those people who are aspiring to do what you've done. So I like what you've done there. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah I, I, I don't know if I'm really a, a leader in terms of inspiring other people, but um, you just do your own own thing and you try and do it well and you try and share some motivation. That's that's all it really is. Good on you, mate. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au. L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. 
well, got nothing else on that topic. Sorry, I don't. I just... No, no, that's all right. I thought you might have had something uh, even more insightful to say. But no, this this week's topic actually is a really great topic because I think everybody would be concerned or have a wonder or an inkling as to how would affects my wine. Luke Morris, what do you reckon? Ah, oh, I. You know what? I'd like to think about the different ways you refer to these things. So you say you're saying wood. So some people would specifically refer to oak, but, you know, wood could be referring to cork. That's a type of wood. There's the wooden boxes and, and storage and transporting of wine and those those things. that they, They're quite protective and they're cool and heavy. Um, but I, I suspect that people are referring to wood as in oak treatment, the barrel that uh, wine gets stored in. Is that... Well, oh, it, is it a barrel or is it is it is oh, it a chips. stave? Is it oh, a, yeah. is it a barrique or is it a barrel? Is it a food rail? Like what what is it? I mean, really, realistically, oaks like it's kind of like a, a winemaker's salt, I guess. Like if it's used correctly, it'll increase the complexity of wine. It might attract, you know, flavors and but basically. When it comes to seasoning wine with oak, winemakers have a few different options. They can be heavy-handed or they can be light-handed. So it's about how you use it to make your effect in the wine, really. It's interesting you say that because uh, there's a, a hatted restaurant in Bendigo, uh, Mason's. Mason's, yeah. And I knew the guy, and he probably still head chef there nick he um has a i don't know how many different types of salt but it's like 17 something like that different types of salt and i was like i only know like your himalayan salt and the iodized salt and there's pink salt crystals i how do you get 17 different types but no there's um heaps of different types of salt and and that flavors the cooking in a in slightly different ways apparently which is what you would be thinking in terms of the different types of oak hungarian oak and french oak and american oak and all of those oh yeah chestnut wood wormwood i mean it goes on and on and on really you can use wormwood yeah you can well you just look Isn't at that hallucinogen or... Oh, yeah. okay. tequila or you know, I thought wormwood flavored reasoning would be get us get us onto that. <laughs> Here on Luke's talk reasoning this week, we're uh, using inexplicable wormwood. happiness. Wouldn't be that inexplicable anymore. You'd be able Woo-hoo! to figure out what the cause was. It's the wormwood. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, no, I mean what oak can impart lots of flavor. I guess in white wine, you get all those kind of toasty, caramel, butterscotchy numbers. But then when you get into the red wines, you get the kind of lot, the leather and the chocolates and tobacco. And um, and what we haven't explored as well is how people might season their oak or they might have it lightly toasted or heavily toasted, just building oh, on their complexities. Yeah, okay, because they put the, so in what you're referring to there, seasoning the oak is uh, firing it. So the dry yes. barrel and you put some fire smoke in there and uh char up the insides which i don't yeah that's that's the process of seasoning as far as i can understand remember 
So a winemaker, he or she would select their type of oak and then they would select their charring, whether it be light, medium or heavy. Um, so there's a few decisions to make. And then they would also choose the type of oak, as Luke mentioned before there, Mori said, what did you say, Hung- Hungarian, yeah, um, French oak, American There's going to be oak, some Romanian oak out there. Romanian some, oak there. All, all types of oaks. Do you know That's, what I like? I can't remember the word now, but we might I do start... know you like Riesling. Yeah. I also know you like Central Victorian Shiraz. The, um, the, the, there like? was a terminology of old oak, and I used to write in newsletters that uh, this has been aged in for 18 months in old French oak, something like that. Yeah. And I liked, I like old French oak because it imparts a softer flavour and I, I think that's a good thing. But people like new French oak sounds more impressive. But then I saw some winery, and I thought they used the word seasoned. I mean, they used the word an aged and seasoned French oak. And I thought, oh, it's not old. It's seasoned, seasoned. French oak. Oh, it's been, it's, it's been around for a while. It's, it's, it's learnt a thing or two, this French oak. <laughs> this, is, this French oak is going to give you a bit more than just the, uh, the ones and twos. It's going to count its way up to the three, fives and sixes. This is, this is a French oak with a bit of depth and character. I like that. I, like, I think that's uh, the idea of using oak to impart flavour and having new oak all the time. Isn't as important. Is isn't that important? I don't. I don't think. I'm. I'm yet to be. No. Well, I think people use that a wine it. has to have new oak. No, people use it sparingly these days. I mean, you can. They use it what between three and five years. So if you and I buy a new barrel for our inexplicable happiness and we toast it up, we get what anywhere between three and five uses out of it. Between shave, reshaving it or moving it on, is that would that be about correct? Yeah, I think you are there. Yeah. yeah. Depending on what you're trying to achieve, I, I know. Was it Tills who had the DB seventy yep. four, and that yep. was double barreled for twenty four months. So it was a new new American oak, and then for twelve months, and then new American oak for twelve months. It was like if you want to taste wood, here's the bottle for you. That's it. Do you remember that wine? Does that still exist? I don't think it still exists, but Jacob's Creek have taken it up the mantle with their double barrel whiskey Shiraz. Oh, wow. Have you had that? Yeah. Uh, I have had that. That sounds like two of your favourite things combined. Yeah, but it's like kind of meeting your heroes. You should never do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what was wrong with it? Apologies to any listeners out there from Jacob's Creek. We love our friends at Jacob's Creek. They've it had some very amazing wines over the journey. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, an Irish-French car bomb kind of uh, No, it was um, – oh, if, if anybody's had it out there, they'll kind of get what I'm not saying. Um, write in at lukestalkwine at gmail.com. Email us at any time. Um, no, it was just this kind of – Inky, it just didn't do the fruit justice, Murray. You know, like, I'm like, is this what, I think I might have put it out on Twitter at one stage. Like, is this what we've come to? You know, this fruit has come from, you know, the western end of the Barossa. It's been toiled over by a bit of culturist for 
you know, just short of 12 months and they've gone, oh, here's a good idea. Oh, oh, oh hang on. Sat down with marketing and gone, uh, hang on. We've got all this good fruit. Let's, let's, oh, I've got it. Let's put it in a large old barrel. Leave it there for a bit. Just wait. Oh, and now let's put it in a brand new whiskey cast. <gasps> Great idea. The survey says no. Do you think that they didn't sit down with Mark and do you think they put it in the great old barrel and then it just wasn't up to scratch? And I thought, how do we uh, sell this junk? And they thought, <laughs> hang on a second, if we put it in a whiskey barrel, idiots will buy this. And no offence, Campbell, but you got some. So who's the smarter <laughs> um... company? <laughs> Yes, well, I'm not. I'm not saying whether I accepted a sample in good faith or not, but okay. I, I won't, won't be uh, purchasing purchasing some. I, it, I, I just maybe I wasn't the target. Is that what Jacobs Creek do? Do you think? Do you think they just get hold of all this good fruit and then try and figure out ways to stuff it up? Is that seems to be their modus operandi? Yes, I think so <laughs> because this won't shock you, but one of their best wines in their whole portfolio that they produce something like 73 skews in is actually their $16 Riesling, which doesn't even come from the Eden Valley. It comes from the, the Barossa Valley floor, the hottest part of the Barossa. I don't know how they do it, but they've got this $16, $17 Riesling, which is utterly delicious. Oh, wow. um, but so do you think I, that's, I, the, that's the inverse effect? They can take really bad fruit <laughs> and do something amazing with it. And they like... <laughs> We don't know what we're doing. Everything turns backwards. As soon as it goes into a Jacob's Creek labelled bottle, it just flips itself. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, this re- this really wasn't for me. But, anyway, back to the question at hand. The, the smaller no. the barrel, the stronger the oakfluence. The larger the barrel, people are using large barrels or, like, the food roos, you know, that come from Alsace or the Rhone. And when they use a large barrel... They're really using that for to build texture rather than that kind of concentration of flavours. Like what we're talking about here, listeners, is bariques are those that hail from Bordeaux and they're the common barrel you see, the 225-litre number in volumes, whereas foodras, like the traditional uh, big massive things they use in Alsace and the Rhone, these are larger and these have like somewhere between anywhere between 2,000 and 20,000 litres in them. And these these barrels are just really used for textures. But the, the larger ones have less of an impact in enlarging, uh, imparting flavour, especially after multiple years of use. But those are, those are the beautiful barrels. They go into, yeah. like, um, uh, Great Western, best Great Western have some of those huge barrels. And I remember looking through, like, they had them open, and they were like, oh, no, no, we still use these. And yeah. I was like, what? How? And I was like, yeah, it's just in parts a really mellow flavour. And it's just we just use it to, to store and settle the wine and it, it goes really well. You know that wine upstairs that you were just tasting? And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that was in that. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That does such a good job. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, more... They're more affordable. You have to change them over less. Uh, they're easier to clean because they're larger in size. Uh, what, what else? Like the, the air, the oxygenation, you know, like the air ingress and 
um, you know, like so really, I mean, those larger barrels, they're used for other than just their flavour. They're used for other other things, really. Can I ask a question? Go what on. do you feel about staves, chips, barrels? The the So uh, for the listener, uh, staves would be you have a tank and you just have an oak. So a barrel is made up of staves. Those are those. Uh, what you, uh, let's call them ribs, yep. ribs around a, bar- a barrel are staves, and you can just put a few of those inside of a tank to alleviate the issue of having to uh, <laughs> pump things into and out of a barrel and clean the barrel and all that work. But also it means that you get uh, surface area of not just one side of that stave but the other sides as well. So there's benefit to that. And then... There's chips, which is you just have little oak chips, which are, as you might imagine, any kind of wood chip. They're effectively little offcuts. They're made from the same stuff, but they're not a large, long stave, and then they're not strong enough to go into a barrel. So they're just the chips, and people can drop those into, or hang them as they do, into a tank instead of using a barrel. Now, there's a lot of, I remember when that, let's call it technology, it's probably not technology, it's just that thought process when people started to do that as a way to reduce costs and have a similar effect on the wine. People, traditionalists, said that that's cheap and nasty and it's ineffective and it's not as good as using a bell. Campbell, how do you feel about the use of staves in chips? Well, the, the, these are kind of less ideal as their influence is harder to control. If yep. you've got, you know, an oak, if you've got an oak barrel, you know how many times it's been used, you know how it's been toasted, how it's been handled, when it's been wet, when it's been dry. So you're kind of the winemaker, he or she, is kind of in control. Yet if you've got a bunch of oak chips in effectively a tea bag or a bunch of oak staves in the bottom, you know, a couple of old chopped up pallets, for want of a better word, or staves in the bottom of your stainless steel tank, the influence is it's, it's much diff- more difficult to control. So the advantage of using oak barrels over chips... You can't are, just... Don't you just pump through? Don't you... You can well, but the... you, you don't know where those. You don't have a. You can't control where that's where the ingredients, where the staves, or whether the chips have, have come from, whether they've been used, how they've been used. Yes, you can. You been you, obviously, you purchase those. You purchase them from the same barrel company, by and large. Well, but you, you don't know. Like, they're not the same quality. Let's let's uh, for want of a better term, they're not at the same level as what the oak barrels that you're spending, you know, up to five thousand dollars on, um, because they're just they're not. They're less of quality. That's why they're chips and staves rather than a barrel. Hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I just look at that stuff and I think they they're using the offcuts and that's effective. You know, if it's not like they're they're taking rejects and they're trying to find a way to apart from the staves, if you if you could but the stave is being used in a cost effective way for something that is still made of the same wood. That's the that's my point. It's still 
how is the difference? How is the how does the wood know it's not as good a wood as the other piece of wood? The, the, the wood doesn't need to. You, you <laughs> as the owner, needs to. And if you're buying oak chips or oak staves or oak bags, you're buying it usually because it's going to be more cost effective. So it's going to you're going to buy a lot less bags of oak chips than you are to barrels if you're using oak chips. So it's going to cost you a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the future. We need to reduce costs and weights and all kinds of things. Wait a minute. You're very the lead there. You think the future is oak bags over oak barrels? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding out what might be things that people need to do, and I'm just trying to say I don't see... I don't think you're making a strong argument for saying that oak barrel is definitely superior to an oak to oak chips. Okay, here's here's a here's a fragrant statement. Okay, how much red wine on the market is made in oak barrels, and how much? And never do this in real life, ladies and gentlemen. How much red wine out there is made by oak chips? I don't, I don't know. There would have to be way more in oak barrel. It would have to be. Are you sh- certain? I can't imagine that large companies... I'm not certain. ...would invest in the time it takes to pump in and out of barrels and store those barrels when you've got tanks sitting there that you've just fermented in and all you have to do is put the juice back in there and place some staves dangle some staves or, or as you described it drop a tea bag of chips in and use that same space yeah uh, my, my argument would be there's a lot more in that barrel i reckon like I, i've been to the rig big red brand and, yeah. you know, and i've been to some other and i've worked in some big wineries some of which use staves and chips but there's not a big amount of them. No. No. Well, I'm, no. I may miss a question for a, a professional winemaker and not us two hacks as to uh, yes. why why you would maintain one over the other. I believe, I, I, look, I'd agree with you, there's probably a greater uh, consistency of integration wine to oak integration within a stable barrel environment but i don't know oh well, in a barrel environment it would have something to do with the the tightness or looseness for that matter of the grain and how the ingress and all that can be utilized or controlled more so than just you know sporadic dunked in at the end of the the, the racking or, or or laid in the bottom you know what i mean like it, it's i think it'd be more about control yeah yeah, and also they can use like it'd be how you're using the actual oak tree itself, and well, that's yeah. the thing. That's why I was thinking that using just one side of a oak barrel isn't as effective as using chips and staves. But yeah, okay. Well, that's the beauty of Luke's talk wine. You get two very, very different opinions. <laughs> we love it. We love it here at Luke's talk wine. That's what it's all about. You know, just getting to the bottom of it on 
uh, Luke's Talk Wine, we get to see the difference of opinion, and I love it. Yeah. Which brings us to our listener question for this week, which is a great one, and it's probably something we don't think about a lot, actually. But I guess the question this week gets us to think not only retrospectively, but also about the future. And that is, how will consumer taste change over the next days, <laughs> years, decade, up to 10 years? How will consumer taste change? Oh, look, if, uh, if you knew the answer to that question, get on to the share market because if you can predict the future of how everything is going to evolve, or maybe we don't need to look at the future, we just need to look at the past and see what happens in the past. So the the things that are favoured and, and encouraged by your parents are less consumed by the rebellious children. So we used to have people drinking sherry and port and that got passed over for table wines and those have been passed over for funky, organic, biodynamic wines. And maybe, as we've discussed, the next stage is the low-alcohol, dealcoholized wines. And then will we then see a a massive kickback against the low-alcohol, dealcoholized wines and go straight back into sherries and fortifieds again? Do you think we we could do that circle of life? Yeah. I was hoping that Sherry was going to come back sooner. Um, then you might be dead reason. by the time it comes back, Cam. Sorry. Yeah, maybe. I just we need to, we need to bring it back. I spent uh, this entire year focused on bringing Cabernet back. I'm not doing <laughs> that. <'cause>... You single handedly <laughs> single handedly Cabernet yeah. back. Bring Cabernet, Cabernet the, back. The biggest bring grape variety on the planet. <laughs> the number one grape variety. Oh, it's gone a bit under. Cam was going to save it. Yeah, save Cabernet now. When do we want it now? Save Cabernet now. <laughs> oh, um, back the, ca- the Shiraz Cabernet blends. That's what I want to see more of. Hey, did you know, just totally side note, and we're getting sidetracked, we digress apart from our question, but did you know that Cabernet Shiraz wasn't firstly intended, uh, wasn't firstly produced by Australians? It was actually done by the French all those many moons ago. Did you know that? Oh, mate, I have no doubt. It's, it's exactly like uh, uh, Australians trying to claim sparkling Shiraz. It's like everything was done over in France first. Was this the first country that didn't think that, you know, you'd had to stop it because some gendarme decided that that's where the vineyard stops and you're not allowed to blend with those on the other side of the vineyard wall? You know, we, we progress because we're just having fun. And stick in the muds. The French, uh, I was going to say busy cycling. I like cycling. <laughs> so but, do I. I like cycling. Uh, no, who, who was, is, is there a region or is, is there a producer that is claiming to be the first Shiraz Cabernet blender? Well, it still actually planet? continues today, would you believe it? But it actually, on recent uh, events, I was hosting a, uh, a, a corporate tasting actually, and I was doing some research on. One of the wines, one of the wines was a Chateau Palmer. And back in the 1800s, they actually had a Shiraz vineyard that was planted in front of the Chateau on the left bank of the Gironde. 
This is in um, Bordeaux. In Bordeaux. And, and Shadow Palmer are one of the, well, they're kind of like a super second effectively, but they're one of the originals backing on to Chateau Margot, none other than. They produced a whole heap of Shiraz for their friends in the Rhone Valley, had it shipped up there before the oh, Rhone really? Valley was popular. Really? And they blended it with their own Cabernet. And they still um, do it? They still do it in some years. They still do it. The last time it was done was actually as recently as 2001. Cool. Um, yeah. So, And they still have the Shiraz planted in Margot, but when they release it um, with Shiraz in it, they can't call it, um, you know, a Bordeaux or Bordeaux Cru Class A. They have to call it something else, and they generally call it after the vintage. But I found that quite interesting. But we digress from this week's listener question. That's which exciting, is, though. I want to get that. I was excited by that, too. Like, you and I love a little bit of the old claret blends and a little bit of history and popular culture that goes way back. It's nice. Um, but we did digress there for a minute. But I wanted to go back to the question. Taste, have a taste change. Mm, Do you know you what mentioned it, about, yeah. Do you know what's interesting yeah. about that topic is also the idea of um, your taste buds will change as you, as you age. Oh, yeah. And so if somebody who's saying, oh, in a few days, what will I like next? Or, oh, yeah, that's a bit hard to judge. But there is... There's a lot of um, people who, who start off with big reds in their cellar or the, or the Brossa Shirazes and then get into their 50s and start running Pinot, Pinot, Pinot. And, you know, all the, all the, yeah, you end up looking off. for something more savoury and then yeah. something more softer and, and then something very fine and elegant. And, yeah, and it is a, uh, an element of ageing, your taste buds change of age and you uh, crave a yep. different flavour. But I also think are we becoming a little bit more experimental in the wine choice? How do you mean? Well, people are drinking, well, people are drinking pet nat. They're drinking, you know, we said this on last week's show, people are drinking rosé all round now, you know, whether it's winter, whether it's summer, they're just drinking. I think consumers, Mori, are becoming more experimental. Yeah. What that do you sounds think? good. Yeah. Does it sound true though to you? Ah, uh, in my wine world, mate. If I um, if I try to offer anybody something as strange as a Tempranillo, I get uh, a, a lot of weird looks. So uh, it's, really, it's, it's Shiraz, Shiraz, Shiraz. A little bit of Cabernet, some Pinot, big buttery Chardonnay. All all, all the all the classics from the nineties. Wow, uh, this is this is so fresh hits from the nineties in my world. It's, uh, <laughs> right, it's, it, it is like the playlist from I was going to say Gold FM, maybe Triple M, all of those FMs. It's definitely not a TikTok uh, playlist. Right, okay, I'm with you. Right, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. So, if you're then saying we'll... people are more experimental, that would be what? What are you experiencing now in the uh, in the wine world? Well, I am experiencing that, but obviously at Vinify we, we do all the very wide and diverse um, drinking schedule. Like, but I, I'm, people are a little bit more open to Italian wines. People are open to a, a new variety like 
Samparavi or Aranace or they might want to drink a pet nap for something different from a champagne or they're open, they're certainly open to a Prosecco or it's not just all, yeah, as you say, Shiraz and Sauvignon Blanc, you know, like people are a little bit drinking a little bit more broadly. They might be still cellaring those Shirazes and Pinots and, and Cabernet Sauvignons from all over the world, but they're not, they're not drinking those. They're kind of drinking a little bit more diversely. So do you think that's the future in 20 years' time? The next think, generation will be drinking uh, cloudy, unoaked Saparavi. I think so because there's certainly no brand allegiance. It's not like you and I just drinking St. Howlett's Blackwell or St. Howlett's Faith or, you know, Old Block. a particular Pinot, Old Block, yeah. yeah. Um, it's... I think that that brand loyalty is not there with the generation after us. Um, That'd be an interesting thing. Has 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 all mail lists sort of started to drop back as people buy individual bottles and two bottles or something rather than by you know having that loyalty, like you said, to Garnet, getting your Saint Hallet or your Heritage Estate or. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of broken wood. Yeah. Wine. Mail this comes from uh, Charlie Mountain. I'll, I'll tick, a, tick a box for the nine popes, tick a box for their Cabernet and post that back to Charlie and get my two dozen wine for the year. Yeah. There's not so much of that anymore. No, there's not. Oh. I think that's a good thing because it opens the doors for experimentation and individuality and more great varieties being planted and different consumer insights. Like I think that's, I think we need to do these things differently. So as we get access to more different varieties. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, the, the markets are always a, a constant struggle of expanding and constra- contracting. You expand the things that work, keep going, and the things that don't disappear when you construct, you contract. So I don't know if we're in a we're in a very expansive stage at the moment of the industry. Yes. No, I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with you there. Yeah. What What about drinking local? Do you think people are drinking local wine brands more now than ever? There's a very. I drove through Gippsland uh, on the weekend. Went out for a mm. bicycle ride. It was lovely. Yes. And there was a lot of buy local signs in the in the townships. And that's a yeah. very it's been around for a while. I don't think that's been that's a, that's a surprise to anybody. There's a lot of townships around Victoria from my experience that have signs in them that say buy local. Yeah. And I guess that's just an indication of the trend we you know Big business is going to squash out small business. That's what it does. Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with you there. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how consumers' tastes are changing and certainly how they will change. I think there's a little bit going on, you know, whether you're talking about packaging and sustainability or softer, more suppler red wines or easy drinking, approachable chilled reds or whatever it might be. I think extensively the the consumer tastes are changing and they will continue to change over the next 
you know, 10 or so years. So yeah, but the influence is really just based on that uh, rebellion against society thing. I don't think, I, I don't think, consume, I don't think people have really changed. Flat, taste buds haven't really changed. It's people's attitudes that change. That's the driver, driving factor to change. The wine quality of port has never been better. Yeah, right. It's not the taste buds, it's attitudes. There you go. It's not, say that again, it's not. It's not the taste buds, it's attitudes. Ah, so the, yes. The thing, the thing that's driving change isn't people's taste, it's their desire for an, an uh, alternative to establish their own uh, identities. This is just philosophical yeah. kind of stuff, but this is but you you it establish is. your own identity by uh, rebelling against what uh, another culture. So everybody everybody wants to find their own tribe of people who they connect to, and you have to find your own tribe by not being in the same tribe as somebody else. Mm. That's very that's, insightful. That's the end of that. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's a little yeah. Sorry. No, love it. Absolutely love it. Hey. On that, what have you been drinking? Have you been yummy? <laughs> no, I, I, you just reminded me. I had a Monastrel Shiraz from Spain. Uh, so we would have called it a Mataro Shiraz if it was mm-hmm. in Australia. It tasted like an Mataro Shiraz, but it was just from Spain. It was good wine. Excellent. What have you been drinking? Uh, well, similar to you, I... Walked into a bar over the weekend, as I do, and just say, I'll have something refreshing. And I had a glass of Vermentino from Italy, and I haven't had a lot of Vermentino from Italy, but this particular glass was delicious. It was light, it was bright, lovely lemony and cut apple finish on it. No, I just all stainless steel, which just utterly delicious. And it got me thinking, you know, we did an episode about other varieties, alternate varieties, particularly red a few weeks ago on uh I think episode maybe, maybe even two of this season. Anyway, irrespectively, it was just got me thinking about that's what I need to be drinking more of. Italy Vermentino. It was um, was delicious, actually. Good stuff. So if you want to get involved with us here on the podcast or vote in the Hottest 100, please click the buttons on Luke's Talk Wine Instagram page please forward us an email at lukestalkwine at gmail.com. He's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au